0: Philippians chapter 2, I hope you have your Bible with you. I want you to follow along with me. We began in verses 1 and 2 as we entered chapter 2 last Sunday. We began looking at verses 1 and 2. I want to start there again this morning, but I just want to read for several verses to get the feel of what Paul is saying here about the importance for unity in the church and how he gives us some examples. And over the coming weeks, Lord willing, we're going to dig a little deeper into these verses, but I want to just read them to you for the sake of context, verses 1 through 11. Philippians chapter 2, verse 1. So if there is any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any participation in the Spirit, any affection and sympathy, complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind, By taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. And verse 9 says, Therefore, God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him Howard Hendricks writes, I was ministering in 4th Presbyterian Church in Washington, D.C. We had a Thursday morning father-son breakfast, 6.30. It was to be over by quarter of eight. There were many people from the military, quite a few people from various government offices, some craftsmen, some laborers of various kind, really quite a mix. After I had finished speaking and the meeting was dismissed, I look, looked over to my right, and there was Senator Mark Hatfield stacking chairs and picking up napkins that had fallen on the floor. Ladies and gentlemen, if you are impressed that you are a United States Senator, you don't stack chairs and pick up napkins if you're impressed that you are God's gift to the body of Christ as the great preacher of this age, you don't stoop to serve. If you're impressed that really you are the greatest thing that ever happened to your local church, you do not serve. You live to be served. Last week we entered Philippians 2. We began to see the importance here of the unity of the local church. Verses 1 and 2 were a challenge to us, an encouragement to us. Unity in the church is a necessity if we truly wish to be an instrument that is used by God to advance the gospel of Christ where He has planted us in this community and in this culture, in this place in history. Unity is what Paul is calling the church to in chapter 1, verse 27, when. So, today we continue in chapter 2 looking at verses 3 and 4. We're going to look at verses 3 and 4 and give our attention to these two verses this morning. And it's here we're going to see that humility as individual believers and followers of Christ is an essential component to the unity of the church. Humility as individuals, an absolute necessity. For our unity as the body of Christ. And I want you to see here that there are three ways we are to show humility. We see it in the passage before us that if we practice, if we practice these three things, this will promote unity in the church. Three ways to show humility. If we want to experience real joy and we want to promote unity in the church out of obedience to God and his word, We'll need to learn, first of all, to put off selfishness. Secondly, we're going to need to consider others as greater than ourselves. And thirdly, we're going to need to consider the needs of others. We're going to see those three things this morning. So first, we practice humility in the promotion of unity by putting off selfishness. In the first part of verse 3, Paul instructs the Philippian believers to do nothing, look at it, to do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit. The Greek word translated here, selfish ambition, refers to a desire to put oneself forward even even by unfair means. It originally referred to seeking political office by unfair means. Does does it surprise you? (laughs) Does it surprise you that in Greece there were politicians whose ambition to promote self trampled unfairly on others? It doesn't surprise you, does it? Sounds familiar, doesn't it? Way too familiar election season is upon us I know we don't like to talk about these things but election season is upon us and we've already heard all sorts of accusations thrown around that are completely unfair or lacking in substance politics has turned into something ugly hasn't it as candidates try to advance themselves it seems like their primary focus is I advance myself by tearing down the other guy Instead of just telling you about what I believe in and what I'm going to do, I'm going to tear down the other guy. Let me just encourage you and challenge you with this. Followers of Christ are to guard against that kind of behavior in the church. We're not to be like what it seems like so many politicians are in this day, and we're in biblical times. Followers of Christ, on the other hand, are to guard against this kind of behavior in the church and even out in the world. This is to to spread beyond the four walls of the church into the community in which we live and serve God that, that we ought not be tearing others down to build ourselves up. The world's way of tearing others down for personal gain is not to be the way of the one who trusts in God, trusts in the God of the universe. Unfortunately, and we aren't surprised that this happened in biblical times because the ugliness of the political world no longer surprises us, the one that we live in. We're used to it, right? We don't think anything of it anymore, it seems. And the danger is that this same destructive attitude of selfish ambition will also find its way into the church, and so, Paul is warning the believers at Philippi, and God is warning believers in this day from the book of Philippians, from the Bible, that we are not to be doing the same that the world is. We are to do nothing from selfish ambition. Now, it may seem obvious, but selfishness is at the root of disunity. Selfish ambition is the enemy of unity. And the church that's filled with people promoting themselves will certainly not be about their main business. You know what our main business is? It's not promoting ourselves. It's not even promoting ourselves as a church, as a whole, as a body of believers in this community. It's promoting the Lord Jesus Christ. It's making Christ known. Where selfish ambition prevails, unity will be absent. And get this, the message of Christ, proclaiming the message of Christ, will suffer. But where God's people put off selfishness, where we get serious about this, God's church experiences unity, and the message of Christ thrives. The message of the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ prevails hudson taylor said of robert morrison who understood this when as a young man robert morrison had first sailed to china he was asked do you really expect to make an impression on the idolatry of the great chinese empire in reply morrison spoke more prophetically than he knew no sir but i expect god will that's the attitude we need Robert Morrison was a missionary who was not out to promote himself at the expense of others. But he was serving to promote Christ even at the risk of it costing himself dearly. Alan Redpath says, The secret of every discord in Christian homes and communities and churches is that we seek our own way and our own glory. That's why the Bible reminds us that it is more blessed to give than to receive. We need that reminder. We all want to receive, but in fact, we'll be more blessed if we're faithful and cheerful givers. We live in a me first generation. This makes giving difficult. This makes hanging on to things loosely difficult. This means it's hard to let go of things. It's me first, and if I don't have that thing that I think I need, I think I'm in trouble when in fact, it's just the opposite, when you're trusting the God of the universe. James Dobson once said, the philosophy of me first has the power to blow our world to pieces, whether applied to marriage, business, or international politics, and I'll add to his list, and the church. The me first mentality has the ability to destroy the local church and destroy our witness and our testimony in this community. We also need to reject conceit. Not only do we need to put off selfish ambition and do serious work against it, appearing in our own lives and our own attitudes and our actions, but we also need to reject conceit. This, too, is part of putting off selfishness. What is conceit? It's, It's thinking more highly of ourselves than we should. It's like the person who is always right, or the person who's already done that, or the person who knows it all. You can't stand being around the person who's always right, or the one who's already done that, or the one who knows it all. That person thinks so highly of themselves that they can never admit they're wrong. But Galatians 6.3 gives us this warning in case we're tempted to be those people. For if anyone thinks he is something when he is nothing, he deceives himself. And Proverbs 26.12 says, Do you see a man who is wise in his own eyes? There is more hope for a fool than for him and Paul writes in Romans 12:16 live in harmony with one another do not be haughty but associate with the lowly never be wise in your own sight the warning is clear from God's word again and again God is concerned with this that we not be conceited so Paul says do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit And to promote unity in the church, we've got to be willing to do some serious work with selfishness, and only you can do that. You're the only one who can look at yourself and say, wait a minute, I'm being selfish here. You can ask God to help you see those ways in which you're being selfish, but we need to put off selfishness, and we need to do it as we put on humility. The Bible is full of these comparisons, the put-offs and the put-ons, and I'm thankful for that. It's a good reminder to us that we don't just put off, put off. It's not just don't do, don't do, don't do. The Bible is also about here's what you must do. Put this off, put this on. Be done with selfishness and conceit. Put on humility. We see what that looks like at the end of verse 3. You put on humility... First of all, by considering others as greater than yourself. Now that's not human nature, is it? In the rest of verse 3, Paul says, but in humility, put off selfishness, put off conceit, but in humility, put on this, count others more significant than yourselves. So to deal with this, to deal with this problem of selfishness and and, and conceitedness, to deal with selfish ambition and conceit, we must start with this. We must start with humility. One commentator says that these are two most dangerous pests for disturbing the peace of the church. And for both diseases, there is one remedy, humility. Humility. Now, what does this humility look like? What are we talking about? What does this humility look like in the life of a Christ follower? Paul says first that it looks like considering others as greater than yourself and not thinking so highly of yourself. Humility is what Andrew Murray described as perfect quietness of heart. And he's talking about when, when it comes to dealing with other people, perfect quietness of heart. It is to have no trouble, that is, to be not concerned about what others think of you or the troubles that you're having with others it is to it is never to be fretted or irritated or sore or disappointed it is to expect nothing to wonder at nothing that is done to me it is to be at rest when nobody praises me and when i am blamed or despised it is to go in and shut the door and kneel to my father in secret and be at peace as in the deep sea of calmness when all around and above is trouble That's the kind of humility that's needed in the church as demonstrated by God's people, as practiced by God's people. And it's only when we have a proper sense of our own smallness, and God's word will help us with this, if we will be those who read the word, we will find that we are quite small compared to our infinite creator, that we will regard others as greater than ourselves. The end of verse 3 says, Let each esteem others better than himself. I think it's the same idea expressed in Romans 12:10. Love one another with brotherly affection, outdo one another in showing honor. Matthew Henry helps us understand what proper humility in the life of the believer looks like, I think, when he says we must be severe upon our own faults and charitable in our judgments of others, be quick in observing our own defects and infirmities, but ready to overlook and make favorable allowances for the defects of others We must esteem the good which is in others above that which is in ourselves, for we best know our own unworthiness and imperfections. But that is hard, isn't it? That is hard. There's no excuse, though. We have the Holy Spirit's help. We have His Word to guide us. It's so easy, though, for us to do just the opposite, isn't it? Instead of counting others more significant than yourselves... We're quick to point fingers when others fail, while overlooking our own faults. But if we will obey this biblical admonition, if we'll take serious this instruction from God's word here in Philippians, if we will count others more significant than ourselves, then we will be on our way to promoting unity amongst God's people in our midst. If we will seek to build up and encourage others instead of criticizing them, and that is, that is not only to their face. It is so easy to criticize behind people's backs, behind closed doors. Oh, we need to stop. We need to wake up and say, wait a minute, I'm, I'm harming the unity of the church even if I, if I never speak this to their face. If we'll seek to build up and encourage others instead of criticizing them, we will be more likely to know the joy of the Lord. You see, the Lord's not about, about giving us his joy if we're not going to be a part of the process, part of the plan that he has us playing in the midst of his, his good purposes for ad- advancing the cause of Christ in this community in which we live. If we're not going to, to do our part, he is not going to give us his joy. If we get this right, we get his joy. And unity follows unity is promoted in the fellowship in the body of Christ among fellow believers. If we're going to be a church that's marked by unity, then we've got to put off selfishness. We've got to do serious work with this. We've got to put it to death while at the same time putting on humility. And how that looks in the life of the believer also looks like this, considering others as greater than ourself and considering the needs of others. Look at verse 4. Consider the needs of others, says Paul. Let each of you look not only to his own interest, but also to the interests of others. I wonder, are we really concerned about the welfare of those people that God has put us in the midst of? Are we concerned about others? I see signs that... That give hope that we are, but, I, but I'm certain that we need to examine ourselves in this and make sure that we're paying attention to, to the work that God is doing in us when we see the needs around us as to whether we're being sensitive to God's nudging us in that direction to help where there's help needed. Consider the needs of others. We need to ask ourselves, am I truly concerned about others or am I, am I more concerned about myself? Notice the first part of the verse. Let each of you look not only to his own interests. There's an indicator here that, yes, you are to pay attention to your own interests. Yes, you are to take care of yourself. We do take care of ourselves, don't we? And we do pretty good at that, making that a priority, looking out for our own interests. And that's not wrong. And yet there needs to be balance. And that's what I hear Paul saying here. There needs to be balance. If we, if we only look out for our own interests, there's going to be an imbalance. There's going to be a selfishness that destroys the unity of the church. But considering others as greater than yourself, that's how you begin looking, not only to your own interests. And so to promote unity in the church, we need to notice the needs of others and be ready to do what we can to help We need to be ready to do what we can as God has provided for us and God has richly provided for us. We had to look to those needs. as How can I meet that need with the blessings of God that he has entrusted to my care? Carolyn shared with me this week a quote she had heard from John Piper in a sermon that he was preaching that was very convicting and I think is very instructive on this point. He says, God prospers me not to raise my standard of living, but to raise my standard of giving. And and, and the the church, we can get this so upside down. We think, oh, God prospers me to bless me so that I can enjoy all these wonderful things. And yes, there's a measure of that in which God blesses you and he wants you to enjoy his blessings, but he also blesses you so that you will be a better giver, a more faithful giver, not one who clings to those things in which he has given and entrusted to your care. It's uncommon to find people who notice and care for the needs of others. It's not uncommon to find people who notice that there are needs, but it's uncommon to find both those who who notice and care and do something about it. But in God's church, it should be the rule instead of the exception. We ought not be like the former, uh, the, the farmer that George Sweeting former president of Moody Bible Institute told of, the man was a farmer who was a single man and wanted a wife, and so he put an ad in the newspaper that read, man, 35, wants woman, about 25, with tractor. Send a picture of the tractor. We're not to be like that guy. That's not to be God's people. Thinking of ourselves first. But if we wish to see God's church unified if we want to be about God's plan of unifying His church so that we can powerfully, with His help, spread the good news of Jesus Christ in this community in which He has placed us, if we wish to see God's church unified, then we must be more concerned about the needs of others than our own. We should be looking out for the interests of others, and we should do that as we practice humility as we learn what humility looks like according to God's word and how it should show in our lives, not, not so that others would say, oh, what a humble person, look at that, that person as they serve, but so that God would be pleased, so that, so that one day we see God face to face and he says, well done, good and faithful servant. We should do what we can to help a brother or sister in Christ who has a need that God has blessed us to meet. So, the question for us is Are we willing to take a close look at our own lives? And I hear those same words I speak, and I need to ask that of myself. Are we willing to take a close look at our own lives? Am I willing to take a close look at my life as we examine the scriptures together? And as again, we read the word of God and we say, This is God's word speaking to me. Am I willing to stop and say, What does God want me to do because of what I've read? How can I obey God in this? Are we willing to even examine our hearts and lives to to consider whether we're being obedient to this instruction from God's Word? Are we practicing the kind of humility that will promote unity in the church or are we falling short of obeying this instruction? Last week we entered chapter 2 and we saw the importance of unity in the local church. And we're going to keep seeing this as we continue In chapter 2, this week here we we see that the path to unity is through humility. And Lord willing, when we meet again next week, we'll see that we have this incredible example. And you saw it as we read the text. We have this incredible example in the humility of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. I think if we want to experience true joy in Christ, then we must see to being a church church that is putting off selfishness, keeping a close guard on our hearts, our attitudes, our desires, putting on humility by considering others as greater than ourselves and considering the needs of others, considering what we can do to help meet those needs as God has blessed us. So may I challenge you this morning? Would you ask the Lord in prayer this week to show you how you could, in humility, count others more significant than yourself? Ask God to help you think of a practical way to show unity through humility this week. Not so that you will get any attention for yourself, but so that God will be glorified. And so that, you, that unity will be promoted in God's church. And I believe you will experience God's blessing. I believe you will experience God's joy. May we be people who look at a passage like this that we've seen maybe a hundred times and stop and be arrested for a moment and say, wait, this this applies to me. How How do I live this out this week? May that be our prayer in closing this morning.